Good evening and welcome to French Football Weekly. Uh, I'm Philippa B and I'm joined by Jeremy Smith. Hi, Jez. Hello. And by Rich Allen. Hi, Rich. Hello. Now, we're a day late and we apologise for that, but there was a slight leaves on the line situation that stopped uh, the team being able to get together yesterday. But we are here now uh, to take us through everything that happened in uh, game 13 and 8 of Liga. Uh, a little bit of uh, European chat uh, and looking forward to the next set of weekend games as well. So what happened last weekend? We started with two matches on Friday, which included Lille beating um, newly managerless Saint-Étienne 3-1, slightly surprisingly. Amiens then drawing 1-1 at home to Monaco, even more surprisingly, before PSG, less surprisingly, beat Nantes 4-1. Uh, in the early game on Saturday, we had multiplex where Gangon and Angers drew, Toulouse and Metz drew, uh, Dijon beat 3-1, uh, Strasbourg beat Rennes 2-1, before moving on to the Sunday games where Caen drew 1-1 with Nice, Lyon surprisingly drew 0-0 with Montpellier, um, we then had uh, Bordeaux um, drawing 1-1 with OM in the Grand Shock, so that was three draws on Sunday, before a slight catch-up game where the Amiens-Lille game, uh, which was called off obviously uh, some time ago after a partial stand collapse in front of visiting fans, Amiens took that 3-0. So we've got quite a lot's happened, quite a lot of shifting around of positions, particularly in the bottom half of the table, and some of the matches we're going to be looking at in a bit more detail are those two matches from Amiens because on Friday they drew against Monaco. Um, so with that, that was uh, an opener from Serge Gakpé. Um, then Monaco equalised through Stefan Jovetic. But it was really a story of good goalkeeping and some, you know, quite a lot of near misses there. Um Rich, what did you think of uh, that match? Are Amiens really uh, getting into their stride now? Uh, they are. They're looking really, really organised. For a team who've shot up as they have done with consecutive promotions, um, I was very much of the, the, the fear that they were just going to be put to the sword almost week in, week out. Um, I feared I was going to be proved right in the early games of the season, but it's really, really good to see that they, they seem to have, um, uh, as you say, found their stride in the league. Um, it was an excellent perform- two excellent performances over the two games. Um, the one against Monaco, um, to, I mean, to be fair, um, you know, they didn't, they, they didn't really have to try too hard. I think Monaco were, were so, so poor um, in possession and so poor going forward that, that it, didn't seem to take too much of a, you know, there's certainly been games in, in more recent weeks where Amiens have had to, had to certainly work a lot harder for their points. Um, I mean, key to it, of course, has been the defence. Mm. Um, and I think if, if including Monday night's game, um, counting as their week eight game, as it should have been, um, the, the statistic that jumps out at you is, is from that game up to the... Um, you know, the most recent game, um, only two other teams have conceded fewer than Amiens, Montpellier and Toulouse. Amiens have only conceded four goals 
in those six games for a team um, that have have been you know, newly promoted, um, you know, first time in the top flight. Is a, it's it's an absolutely stupendous statistic because um, you know they they may not be scoring many, but you know conceding only four goals in those, and they've had some tricky games as well. You know to only hold. No matter what we say about Monaco and how they're not at the races this season, they're still scoring a heck of a lot of goals. Mm-hmm. Um, to hold them to only one goal, you know, it just goes to show what a an organised unit that they seem to have got so far. Mm. Jazz, have you got any points? That we did get a kind of a more of a request than a question from Terry Monnelly or Monnelly Terry on Twitter to give Amion credit in defence and Gertner was excellent I thought particularly in the the Monaco game uh, there were really kind of organised no nonsense solid dealt with things because they did actually face a lot more shots than uh, it kind of looked like from the highlights because they dealt with them so well what did what did you think of uh, those two games uh, yeah I, th- I thought um the the two matches sort of showcase the 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 ability they've got at both ends. I mean, I, against Monaco, arguably they had they had better chances than Monaco. And I agree with Rich. It was I mean it was well organised, but yeah, they they didn't have to work too hard. But it's not fair just to pin it on Monaco having having a bit of an off game or Falcao just coming back from from injury. You know, Amiav got. They're a bit like um, Angers when they first went up. I think they're they're really showing the benefits of having a, a very settled back five, back four, or back five, if you include um, Gordner in goal. Um, and and they're using that as as a sort of foundation um, from which to push forward. And the second match, I mean, um, you can argue they they got a bit lucky in a set in the sense that firstly they, they, they were playing were, Lille. Well, that as well, but I was going to say the fact that um, that you know they they were trailing in the original match, um, and arguably they they've got lucky that they're still being allowed to play at home um, in the stadium with the said dodgy stand. But um, you know that they totally outplayed Lille, who um, we can talk about in a kind of separate tangent conversation. But um, they they and the defending in that was horrific. From Lille, but at the same time, Amiens they they break forward quickly. Gakuta is not looking like the New Zidane, but he's showing enough to see to show why you could see that that was one of the the sort of nicknames that he was given earlier on in his career. Um, they're not prolific, but they are sh- sharing the goals around. And as long as they're keeping it tight in defence, they don't need to be prolific because the odd one or two goals will will see them get the the results that they need to to stay up i mean let's let's do leal then let's do the weekly bielsa roundup uh we had a question from obviously uh gibney uh gibney hey on twitter you'll you'll know him well how will bielsa do in league de? i mean it, it after friday night Thing, things look good, right? They're scoring, they're playing, they're passing nicely. Everything seems to be okay. And then did they just go, oh, well, everything's fine and sit back. What, I mean, what happened between those two games? Well, I, I, was, I obviously kept a close eye on Messlil a couple of weeks ago. And you'd be 
you'd struggle to find a more flattering um, result for any team. They were absolutely schmiced by Mess in the first half, and, and Menon totally kept them in it. And then, as usual, Mess basically committed suicide at the end of the half. Um, so that was a, an extremely flattering 3 0. And um, from after I haven't seen any of, I've only seen the goals of, of Lille Saint Etienne, but certainly from everything I've seen that Andrew's talked about, both in terms of just coverage of the game and also um, XG, which I'm not necessarily a fan of, but I am going to support um, mm-hmm. just to make my point here. And I know Andrew is a fan. Um, in in terms of that, he said that that was an extremely flattering result for Lille as well. So even the six points in those two games, um, possibly, um, you know, it, it didn't speak of a sort of turning of the corner. It spoke more of kind of uh, hiding, um, continuing problems. Mm. Um, I mean, I, so, I, I, sorry, just looking yes. at that, they've they've scored twelve league goals so far. So that's half of those have come in those two games against Mets and against Saint-Étienne. I mean, that's not great. You know, they've got themselves up to a, what a, a decent number now, having been terrible and. If they go back to being terrible, given that, as you say, the the Mets game was was a, an interesting proposition, and Santetiano obviously in no great shakes at the moment, given the managerial situation, can we then expect them to revert to the Monday night game being more their style? I think certainly in terms of, um, I mean, the quotes from Bielsa afterwards about sort of withdrawing Bissouma who was playing well and is a and can play as a holding midfielder, taking him off and then bringing Pepe back to play as a number 10 and then t- moving Thiago um, Maya from a more attacking position for once into the defensive midfield thing. It just seems like classic Bielsa trying to show that he's more clever than anyone else and actually coming across as a bit of an idiot. It does look like he's actively trying to confuse his players as well. Or actively I... <laughs> trying to get the sack, possibly. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, Rich, Rich, any view on Bielsa's chances in League 2 next season? Um, I still don't think he did particularly well, if I'm honest. Um, I, I mean, I've, I've said before that everybody at Lille made such a song and dance about you know, this project that they were putting together and you know, the, the, the money that was being put in, the new owners, the new president, the new, um, all these new players they brought in. And then obviously Bielsa seemed to be sort of like the 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 icing on the cake in terms of bringing in. It, it still to me screams that Lille have got far, seemingly perhaps have more to lose by getting rid of Bielsa. It seems the logical thing because they're just playing so poorly. Um, and he's he's trying to implement so much in such a short space of time that it's just not working. As Jess said, the players look confused. They don't seem to be know what they know, know what they're doing because their role seems to be changing every fifteen twenty minutes. It seems um, the, the the problem, of course, is is how far longer do they give how long how far longer do they give Bielsa before somebody at Lille has to make that decision and say actually. We made a big song and dance about hiring Bielsa, but he's not the man. You know what? What he what he is looking from this project and what he's looking to to implement from this project isn't matching up with what necessarily we want to do, or 
it's just not what's needed at this current time. I suspect it's more the latter because I, I'm fully suspecting the, the board are, are right behind what Bielsa was looking to implement, but it's just not the right strategy. Um, you know, far too many play, far too many inexperienced players were brought in in the summer. Far too many senior players went out the window, um, and and they're they're severely paying the price. So he's going to. I mean, obviously, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, I think he's going to get until the January transfer window. It'll then be interesting to see what he does then, because that's going to then ultimately make or break Lille's season. They've got to bring in. I think they have to bring in some kind of experience. Um, I think they need to bring in um, a more clear-cut centre-forward. Um, it seems that there are an awful lot of either defensive midfielders or wide attackers in that team. I do think they need something a bit more um, attacking through the middle. Um, so, yeah, I think he'll, he'll have until January. Um, it's, it's then a case of whether what he does in January is enough to... to show a, a turnaround in results. Mm. I, mean, I think one thing that makes me kind of nervous about whether Lille are going to pull the trigger or not is, what is it, Mark Ingler is the guy there now. Now, there was an article that Rory Smith wrote um, uh, this week about PSG, could they kill French football? And he says, from the inside, quite a lot of people think they could save it. Now, reading that article, it's a very interesting article. It gives a lot of very good background on what is actually going on. But the only person who seemed to be quoted saying they thought PSG was good for French football was Ingler. Um, uh, all us, obviously, was talking about it not being competitive anymore. The Monaco uh, guys were talking about it not being competitive anymore. If, if Lille have got this kind of new guard in charge, you maybe don't quite know what's going on. Um, are they going to be able to to pull the trigger on a bad managerial situation when My con- you know they've 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 put so much stock in this because they think it's the right thing to do? That's the thing for me. It's not necessarily um, about whether they know what's right or not. It's the fact that they they pinned their colours so much to the to the Bielsa mast. You know, it was almost like a sort of um, the kind of thing you see at Barcelona and Real Madrid with these promises um, from the presidents when it comes to election time. If you vote for me, then I'll do this, this and this. It was everything was about, you know, we'll come in and we'll bring Bielsa in. Um, It wasn't like we'll come in and then we'll interview a few candidates and, and, um, you know, make a call on the on the on the right coach. It was always going to be Bielsa. So. Um, you know, practically it won't necessarily be like that, but you feel like if they were to get rid of him, then effectively they should be falling on their swords as well. Mm. Um, so, I, yeah, I just, I can't see, although there have been murmurings that um, they are starting to be a bit unhappy with him. Um, I, yeah, I, I can't see, I can't see them getting rid of him. At the same time, Bielsa isn't usually the type that waits to be got rid of anyway. <laughs> Um, maybe I maybe could, I mean, he, maybe could, he realizes he won't be so he's um you know milking it for all he's worth i mean we've possibly, now got his I mean, translator actually chipping in with tactical analysis and and viewpoints well, which is his his translator also said that Bielsa has brought the most entertaining football in the last 20 years to league ass so i'm not really sure his you know, translator has anyway. worked with noam chomsky so i think we're in an entirely different universe now <laughs> exactly um, 
So I can I see, I mean, when, when Rich said that a lot will depend on what Bielsa does in January, I could conceivably see Bielsa doing his usual very stubborn self and saying, no, I'm very happy with the squad that I've got that I've put together in the summer. Them saying, you have to buy someone and him walking out with some kind of what he thinks is a moral victory. Hmm. I can also I can also see him just telling the board, look, you know, I know what I'm doing. If you want to get rid of me, you know, be that be be that idiot that fires Bielsa kind of thing, and <laughs> and him almost having this sort of there's a I don't club. know sort of de- demon headmaster kind of control over the board. There is a club. They've they've got cards. They've got ties. They've got everything. Um, <laughs> I mean, so this one obviously is going to run and run at least as long. Um, as he actually stays in position, which we all seem to think will be quite a long time. So moving on to another match, which was uh, of interest on on Sunday, it was the uh, big match on Sunday night, which was Bordeaux against Marseille. Now Bordeaux opened the scoring, third minute, Nicolas de Preville, lovely, lovely goal. Absolute long-range, curling, screamer kind thing. Lovely. Um and then after there was a TIFO, there were streamers, there were balloons, there was flares, there was clackers. Bordeaux were having a party and then Marseille absolutely pissed all over that. 94th minute equaliser for Morgan Sanson. So basically, if you arrived late or left early, you you got to see balloons. Um, and that that was pretty much it. We've quite, after Bordeaux's obviously wonderful start and they're still up there but have things slid a little bit for them they've not had their last five games are drawn two lost three and that includes losing to Amiens Monaco and Rennes um no offense Rich but it looks like they are in a little bit of a tricky situation did this match kind of encapsulate that I think it did. I think I think one of the big things that you can point to with this drop in form for Bordeaux is the drop in form of Malcolm. Um, you know, everything that's good about Bordeaux generally flows through um, you know, an excellent Malcolm display. We've seen some you know, we've seen some real positive performances from Bordeaux this season. Uh, and that in no small part has been due to Malcolm. Now, you know, he's now bad. he's now not at his, his best. You know, it's no coincidence Bordeaux are not at their best. Um, it's certainly a little challenge, a little bit of a challenge for, for Gorvenek. Um, I was quite optimistic for Bordeaux's chances at the start of the season. I thought the squad that, that he'd assembled, the players he brought in in the summer, um, really added and improved that squad quite a bit. Um, maybe what they're now missing, and of course it's a it's a hindsight signing, um, is, is that reliable goal scorer. Unfortunately, Nicola de Preville hasn't quite been that. Mm-hmm. In fact, it only took until that um, Marseille game for him to get his first goal. Um, so he's, he's perhaps been, you know, of all their signings, he's the one that's perhaps underperformed um, most. Uh, and unfortunate for him, it's in such a significant position for Bordeaux um, because they are obviously severely lacking a, a, a central striker. Um, so it's it's giving certainly giving Gorvenek food for thought. Um, you know, in each of those three losses, Bordeaux failed to score. 
They only got one in their draw against Nantes. They only got one um, in their draw against Marseille. Goals are seen. Goals seem to be the problem. I think early part of the season that was a little bit messed, as I say, with the form of Malcolm and and sort of the the impact that can have then throughout the rest of the squad. They need to work out a way, and this is on, this is on Gorvanek, and and I, I trust him because I do think he's a great coach. But he now needs to find a way for Bordeaux to play well, get results, if their star player is not going to play well. Hmm. Just strikes me, talking about the central striker situation, should they maybe have tried a little bit harder to persuade Enzo Crivelli to stick around? Not pretty, but can be effective. Jez? Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, me too. Hmm. He's not... And trees at Angers, but as you said, it's definitely a plan B. Jez, could you come slightly closer to your microphone? Sorry, I moved the microphone away. Marvelous. Put it back down. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think. Um, uh, yeah, I think Gouvernet maybe was just trying to prove a point and assert some authority there, but um, you know, maybe there's more to it than that. But I, yeah, I think possibly they could have benefited from him still being there and offering a sort of plan B mm. um, to I'm, I'm hoping that, um, that you know this will be the start of a run now because I think he's, he's had a bit of bad luck since he's since he's arrived so you know, I'm hoping it's one of those things where you know one goal opens the floodgates mm. um, it was a lovely goal as well. It was. I mean, it was an, a massive mistake by Marseille, but yes. um, once he'd pounced on it, the finish was superb. Um, and, you know, that's got to hopefully give him confidence as well. Mm. Um, the rest of the match, I mean, it wasn't necessarily his fault. Sankaro missed a, um, maybe a sitter is a bit strong, but one that you really would expect him to, to make. And I'm not sure Marseille would have come back from 2-0 because, hmm. frankly, I know that it, again, seems like I'm just having a go at Marseille, but they were awful. <laughs> um, Payet, quite rightly, was substituted at half-time because he was dire in the first half. Um, I love Sanson as much as everyone else, and I know he scored the goal, but he's still not... I don't think playing at, at his Montpellier levels, um, and again I keep saying it, but I, I really think that Marseille are in a very flattering position that their their performances just don't reflect whatsoever. Well, well I will say I thought Rami actually had a by his standards a relatively decent game. I'll give him that. I also think we're back to uh, you know again I joke about it, but there's an element of, of seriousness to it. I think we were a little bit with Marseille in that game, back to the old entertaining rubbish. Mm. Um, you know, they, I think they deserved the point. Um, you know, neither side were particularly great. Um, you know, but, but, you know, Marseille dominated that game, I thought. Um, I, yeah, I mean, a point was deserved, but by no means were, were either side playing particularly good football. They were creating chances, Yep. weren't finished weren't finished particularly well not very well. good chances uh, yeah. <laughs> but they were I thought Bordeaux chances. were the I thought Bordeaux were the better team in the first half and then they sort of withdrew more and more and allowed Marseille back into the into the match but if they'd wanted to I think they could have put that match away and it's just it's frightening how much Marseille <coughs> missed Luis Gustavo when he's not playing yes i think um if we're looking at Bordeaux mainly relying on the performance of Malcolm for their own 
performances, another team that does seem arguably to be reliant on a single player is Lyon, um, who played earlier on Sunday, drew 0-0 at home against Montpellier. Nabil Fekir was suspended for this after the um, shirt thing. Um, And this was a very frustrating match, I'm sure, for the home support and for a lot of people watching this expecting goals. Montpellier went there with uh, a five-man defence and a plan, and it worked very well. Um, Given the situation where... Looking at the possession stats, I know, Jez, you might have to step away here, but Iwell had 62% possession, but the shot count was equal, 15 each. Montpellier defend well and then break. Lyon, without Fekir, it's not just that he's a focal point for an attack, he's also now an organising presence. As the captain, as a more mature player, he does seem to have... Uh, that kind of influence, which is more everybody calm down, organize, let's do this properly, as it were. They didn't, they missed him on two levels, as it were, both as the player, but also as the captain. Would would that be fair uh, from what you saw of the game? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's, you look at the team that they put out and, um, I'd say Toussaint and, and Dombele still to me more sort of defensive minded players Toussaint is going to sit and hold and Dombele can break forwards but he's more sort of box to box engine he's not necessarily going to be you know threading through um, cute balls or anything like that Oua I think has got the potential to do that definitely but possibly it's a bit um, premature to be expecting him to do that week in week out now and the front three I mean Diaz needs service and Depay and Corno to me are just consistently disappointing I know Depay has been on a, a recent decent um, a decent recent um, goal scoring one but I, I still think he flatters to deceive nine times out of ten and yeah they just I think they they missed Fekir they just seem so reliant here, reliant on him to be the only one that's going to create anything. And, you know, all credit to Montpellier. It's not that mm. they've got the best defence in Ligue 1 now. So it's not, again, you can't pin it all on Lyon. But when you've got a very well-organised defence, I think it was a five-man defence this weekend, um, yeah. you need a bit of, of nous and guile to unlock such a defence. And there's no one in that Lyon team except Fakir who really seemed capable of doing that. And I think possibly the way he's been playing this year, the fact that he's the captain and you know, just we were all a little bit unsure, but he, t- he took to the captaincy brilliantly. It does feel that the, the rest of the team are kind of sitting back and relying on him. And certainly the, the profiles of players like Depay, Cornet, um, Traore maybe a bit, um, Diaz, although he's scoring, has, has caused a, a few problems internally none of them seem the type that will miss unless they can be guaranteed of getting sort of um the next the next morning's headlines none of them seem to be sort of willing to really step up and and take a match by the scruff of the net the way that that fakir has been doing this year rich do you do you agree with that oh yeah i mean he's absolutely vital to that team i think it, it's the way he um 
he seems to be able to get the best out of those front three. Um, he, with him playing a little bit deeper um, than, than perhaps he has done in in the last few years, um, he's proving to be that link between the uh, the midfield two that sit behind him uh, and the attack. Um, and he's instru- he's absolutely instrumental. You know, th- th- those front three can be very very hit and miss. We've seen that already this season. Um, and I think the, the the influence that he can carry and the way that he can bring those players together only helps, I think, with, with the, the consistency levels. Um, I think in, in recent weeks, we've certainly seen um, you know, Fekir back at his very, very best. And I don't think it's any coincidence that we're also then starting to see Depay reach, uh, I'm not going to quite say an absolute level of consistency, but something approaching a level of consistency. Um, so again, you know, looking back, considering how you know free scoring this Leon side have been, it again wasn't a huge surprise. Um, although credit to, to the opposition, but it wasn't a huge surprise to see that without him in the side, that front three weren't anywhere near as effective mm. um, against, against Montpellier. I think it's going to be interesting because uh, Lyon are away at Nice on Sunday after playing in the Europa League on Thursday against Apollon. Um, now, Nice and Europe in general, but Nice in particular, are in a very strange kind of place at the moment. They're second in their Europa group behind Lazio, who are the highest ranking side, so you think that's reasonable. They're 17th in the table. They most recently drew away at Caen to a uh, Ronnie Rodelin equalising in the 92nd minute the day after his birthday. So well done to him, Ronnie. Um, we've had several questions about this from several people. I'm going to go with the one from Gramo1875. What has happened to Nice? How much longer will Favre get? Any Any views? Uh, I'm I'm a believer that in part um, it, it wasn't a particularly great um, trans- summer, summer transfer window for Lille. I think they lost they lost a few influential players. Um, you know they lost Paul Bice. It was an absolute. You know he was solid as a rock for most of last season when playing at the back. You know, they lost an excellent right back. They lost an excellent left back. Um, Belonda went back. They, they, you know, they weren't able to secure a permanent deal for him. And the replacements, I don't think, quite have cut it. You know, they brought in the likes of, you know, Alain Saint-Maximin. He's obviously, we, we know that on his day, he can be a really good player. But he's still incredibly raw. There's, you know, he's still nowhere near... Uh, producing the level of performances week in week out that that's needed for that kind of player. They brought in, I mean, they brought in Christophe Jalle. You know, he's been a great servant, but he's hardly a, a, a dynamic fullback. Mm. Um, we we, we have then, that criticism about the French team. If Jalle's starting, what is the question? And that actually <laughs> does kind of extend back, maybe to to the club side. Yeah, and then they made you know they made the sort of quote-unquote marquee signing of um, of Wesley Schneider, who... Is the size of a marquee. I, I, I think that's why that was... <laughs> I think, actually, actually the, the game at the weekend, I don't think he played too badly, but 
it still shouldn't really be in that. When you look at what that midfield has offered over the last few seasons with sort of young, um, dynamic players, I don't. I think Schneider potentially is as opposite end of that spectrum as you could get. Um, for me, he was just the wrong wrong kind of player. You know, they, the Balotelli experiment has in part, I would say, falling more on the side of it's worked. Obviously, the Banafa one before that worked. I didn't feel like they needed to, you know, to, to put themselves in a position where they needed another, you know, resurrection job. Well, they did. Um, to a certain extent, Belhanda was a, another one of those that worked. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think with the money that they've, they've spent... Um, and you know, they, for example, St. Maximin, they spent a chunk on him. I feel like a more permanent deal could, you know, a, a, an offer could have been made for Belhanda. Yep. And um, uh, just again, looking at the stats here, we had Nice with 62% possession, but being outshot by the home side, 1812. Cole do have that energy that, in a sense, it was a really late winner, but in they've been hammering on that door uh, more or less efficiently throughout the match obviously but it was like their energy and their enthusiasm is going to be uh, you know something that stands them in very good stead they've they're still they're sixth you know they're having only scored nine goals um, but they are you know a really enthusiastic club who are doing the necessary and, and winning the games that matter in a sense, and, and, and taking the points where they can. So, Jess, have you got anything, in a sense, on, on Nice more, more broadly? Because they, they will be um, playing in the Europa League as well. All of the French teams are second in their Europa team group, by the way. Um, but, you know, with looking forward to Lyon at the weekend, that does that have to be the priority over... Given given that they're seventeenth as opposed to second in their Europa group, um, I mean it's a dangerous thing to say, but I still I, I can't really can't believe for a second that they're going to be in relegation danger. I know seventeenth place end of November suggests otherwise, but um, there's you know there's absolutely definitely one team worse than them, and I'm sure we can find two others as well. But um, I just as Rich said, I think that the defence is a big part of it. Like I said earlier about Angers and Amiens, that last year the the defence was um, reasonably consistent, could kind of pick itself, and three of those four have gone. Um, arguably, the the weakest of the four is the one who stayed. Um, yeah, I think um, Paul Bice is a really is a really underrated. Um, player so I think he's a big miss and then the two fullbacks did a great job defensively and offensively so they're missing that at both ends mm. um, however brilliant I think Suke is um, and effectively they've mi- they're, they're missing the, the two main midfielders from last year as well Cyprian's got a long-term injury that he's only just coming back from and Seri because of probably because of the uh, sort of Barcelona non-transfer and then niggles and things like that he's He's not the player that he was. Um, speaking of player, player also coming back from a long injury and is doing okay, but not not quite the levels of last year. Um, so, I mean, I, I'd agree that they haven't had the best transfer window. And yeah, I'm still mystified by Schneider, but but it's 
a hell of a lot of of last year's team that have either gone or for various reasons underperforming. I'd add Cardinal to that. He he had a very good year last year. This year, um, I'm not sure Fav knows anymore who his best keeper is. Um, so yeah, there, there are problems there, mm. and um, I don't know. I mean, I'd I'd still like them to to, to um, uh, you know, play full throttle in in Europe because I still think on their day they can give most teams a, a run for their money. And you know, the last match they were very unlucky to to sort of yes. lose in the last minute to, to Lazio. Yeah. So, um. If you're saying pick one of the two matches in the next four or five days for them to concentrate on, in a way, I'd hope it would be the uh, the Europa match. But mm. if it's picking one or the other, I assume Fab would would prioritise certainly on you know the recent history of league and teams and their attitude to to Europa League Lyon last year aside. I think he probably would prioritise the the mm. league match. Well, we've got uh, obviously Nice are playing Zulzvergem who they beat 5-1 away in the first matchup. So hopefully, you know, they'll be able to uh, do something similar um, in in the, the home leg. Um, as all of, as I say, all of the French teams are second in their groups um, in the Europa League. Uh, Marseille is probably the one that's looking the little kind of iffiest because that's a very close group. They're away at Cognospor. Um Again, in the, the early early game on Thursday, OL are hosting Apollon in the, the late game. Now, one of the other uh, French teams in Europe who, to be fair, will not have to worry about the Europa League um, after Christmas is Monaco, um, who lost, what was it, 4-1 at home to Leipzig? What I, I I was watching a, a baking program. What the hell happened there, Jez? Um, it was just a horrific start, not necessarily by Monaco, but by Jemison. Who, ah. um, first, he scored an own goal, which was relatively unlucky. I felt he maybe could have had time to, to put his foot away, but he didn't and sort of deflected it in. And then literally a couple of minutes later, gave the ball away in a very dangerous position and, and Werner put it away. Um, then, I can't remember even what, what all the goals were now. I think they scored again. Monaco, Falcao gave Monaco hope. and then um, This all basically the... happened in the first half as well because I was watching you yeah. tweet and just going, what the hell is happening? Um, well, because it's a bit unfortunate about Jemison because watching the Amiens game on, on Friday, I was watching that going... Oh my God, Andrea Raggi is getting old and slow. I mean, he was taken. He was taken to the cleaners a couple of times and replaced on seventy-two minutes by Armani Torre because they needed to get him off the pitch, basically. So, a couple of seasons ago, Monaco were a solid defensive unit. Maybe not that exciting in attack, yada yada, but. In all of this toing and froing with obviously Mbappe. Lamar, fullbacks, whatever. There seems to have been this this thing where may, maybe they haven't been concentrating on the transfers in the less sexy parts of the pitch, possibly, because it did look like 
you know they they need some some reinforcement some extra vim uh back there to support things i think uh, uh right back they've been slightly unlucky in that i still not convinced about him but clearly mm-hmm. Sidibe is the starting right back and has got a relatively long-term injury um Amami Ture has always got niggles unfortunately because I said before I think he should be if he's got the French nationality he should be we well, should be for me he should be Monaco starting right back and in the France squad um yeah Jorge or Jorge I'm never sure how to pronounce it hasn't quite um, matched Mendy's standards last year, which is unsurprising. Yeah. And yeah, centre back, there's been a bit of inconsistency. But I do, I don't know. I think they've got a bit of depth there. They've got um, is it Diallo, who's the under twenty one captain, and mm-hmm. I'm surprised he's not given um, a few more chances. But I just, you know, last night there there was uh, one regular tweeter who is a PSG fan but says something about you know Mbappe did well to leave a sinking ship there's another person who should know better who said what a fool from grace from Monaco I just I mean I did feel forced to send a tweet about it I think it's ridiculous they've had um no most of the team have have left and it's not any old team you know these are all absolutely world-class players who have left but um, how many so, world-class players have they still got there? That's kind of where I struggle to work out why it's gone. Well, they're second in the table, so whatever. But, you know, in these I cases... That, I just I think that um, they've still got a lot of world-class players there, but the sort of uh, automatism, as they say in French, mm-hmm. the kind of, you know, the relationships between, say, Mendy and Lamar of last year and Sidibe of... And then um, Sidibe and Silva of last year, and even Bakayoko yeah. and uh, and Fabinho in the middle. That that doesn't come overnight. You know, players like Tielemans, I'm sure, are going to be superb players for Monaco, but it's not going to happen immediately. It, it um, was the, the lever players that, that went, the guys in the middle of the relationships, rather than at the end of them. Yeah, if, and also you know, Falcao has been slightly unlucky this Champions League campaign. Like when he hasn't been being sort of kicked in the face he's been injured and coming mm-hmm. back from injury i'm not i'm not saying that they've underperformed they absolutely have um i don't think they've been as bad as as marseille were in their um season where they ended with no points as someone oh, yeah, suggested but, but, that was hilarious um, though. but um you know it, it i think when the draw was made a lot of people thought oh, that's a pretty pretty good group for monaco relatively easy group to come out of but um, you know, it's never easy. Turkish teams are never easy to play. Um, Porto are uh, in the Champions League year in, year out. They don't always make it through to knockout stages, but they're still they still know what it's all about. And any you have to respect any team that finishes in the top two or three in top two, I think, in Germany, um, and have some very talented players there, and not least at you know one of the best young centre forwards in the world. So. Um, it was never going to be an easy group. Um, as I said, they have, they have underperformed, but um, uh, I don't. And the fact that they're not even challenging for the Europa League is a bit disappointing. But mm. I don't think it's a massive surprise that they're not qualifying from the group. Yeah. I think looking. I think looking at it, what you've got is 
perhaps a little bit of, of that that poor form in the Champions League, combined with a few. I mean, we're only talking a small number of really below par performances in the league. All of a sudden, seems to have masked their entire season as an utter failure so far. You know, as you as you said, for that they're still second. Second, they're still second, and they're you know they're still. I think they're on the same of number of points that they were last year as well. It's yeah, it's just yeah, that you know probably. we've got we've got we've got PSG at another level this season, mm. which hasn't you know it's not going it's never going to help them. But also, I think what the what the Champions League has shown is that what they've been able to do in the league is yes, they've lost some really really key players. You know, that's going to be a fatal blow to most teams in Europe to lose the quality of players that they've lost. They've brought in quality players. There's no, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But of course, there's going to be needing to time to gel and Jardin's now got to work out his best team, this, that and the other, and all these ta- new different tactics that he's going to have to come up with. Those players are good enough that by and large, they can get by in the league. It, it's, you know, it's just that unfortunately, they've come up against you know, some pretty 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 good teams in the Champions League, as Jay said. Porto, hugely experienced in the competition. The Shittas seems to be having great fun at the mm. minute, both on and off the pitch. And Leipzig seems to be, you know, they've had an eighteen months that most teams could only dream of. It seems so. You know, there's 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 teams that are unfortunately just better organised. Mm. Uh, well, they're either better organised or they are just out experiencing them at this level. And that's that's just unfortunate that Monaco have come up against that. I don't. I'm, I'm one of these that, yeah, I get that. There's the whole ridiculous thing of you work hard all season to get into Europe. You then don't focus on Europe because you want to get into Europe the next season. I get that that's a, a, a ridiculous thing, but unfortunately, it's the way football works. They are aware that they've lost so many players. They're aware that PSG are going to run away with the league. Monaco's main goal this season is second place in that league. They need to keep ensuring that they have this regular Champions League football. Mm. And then that's going to help feed and continue this project of bringing in players two years later, selling them for huge fees. It's going to help that mm. uh, to attract those kind of players. I, I, you know, if, if they weren't in the, in the Champions League this season, I, I really don't think they'd have, they'd have attracted a player like Tielemans, for example, because he was pretty hot property. Um, so I think it's I think it's a case of, of you know this season was was their main aim I think uh, I don't think I don't think anyone really honestly thought you know what we're going to win you know, we're going to retain the title here I think it's very much a case and it's, I don't think it's a defeatist attitude um, I, I wasn't in a total agreement on the whole Mbappe deal but it became clear that he wanted to go so I'm very much a get rid of if they want to go uh, but yeah I think I think if they can. You know, drop out of Europe now. If it's for the greater good of securing their second place come the end of the season, then uh, you know, from looking at it from the Monaco project perspective, I, I don't have too many complaints. I think it's just it feels like a bit of a pity after they went so far recently in the Champions League that, in a sense, knowing that they probably wouldn't retain the title, they didn't give it a better shot. But you know, it's a it's a difficult balance balance to meet. Um, Elsewhere in Europe, in the Women's Champions League, we had, um, unsurprisingly, Lyon are through. They won 7-0 away in Kazakhstan and then followed that up with a 9-0 home drubbing of Beek Kazigert. Uh, Ada Hegeberg scoring four goals in both games, which 
is presumably some form of record. Uh, Kemi Abilie got a hat-trick in, in the home leg, uh, which gives her the record appearances and goals for a single club in the Champions League. Um, more interestingly, uh, possibly in the not an actual walkover stakes, were Montpellier, who won away at Brescia, um, Italian champions, 3-2. And so that was looking quite cagily set up for the, the second leg, which Montpellier actually took 6-0 with six different scores, which strikes me as just nice and neat. Uh, Decker, Jacobson, Vehi, Toletti, Leger and Virginia. And so they're both going to be in the quarterfinal draw, which is happening on Friday, where the other teams involved are Chelsea, Wolfsburg, Barcelona, Linkoping, Man City and Slavia Prague. So this is going to just be great fun, I'm sure, moving forward. Uh, in the other classic um, in Division A, Marseille versus PSG, the women's teams, Marseille went 2-0 up. And which caused all sorts of great joy and happiness and hope before finally losing 5-2 PSG. We'll do that to you in Division 1. So um, looking forward to the next weekend, we have some very big games happening, including Rich. What would you say would be the biggest game coming up this weekend? <laughs> um it's it's of course it's the um, the Breton derby. Although there are some that a Breton no, derby. It's it, yes, it is a, a one of forty seven Breton derbies. <laughs> yeah, no, that's coming up um, uh, this weekend. I think it's quite a bit of anticipation uh, going into that game, considering the sort of relative misfortunes and good fortunes of the respective teams who um, we should possibly confirm are ren versus nantes just for any yeah yeah probably should have, listeners should, not should familiar have with french geography um yeah so ren obviously with a pretty pretty poor start to the season uh now under new presidency and new uh new management with uh, with sabri lamushi coming in didn't get off to the best of starts, losing away at Strasbourg. Um, Nantes, on the other hand, um, under Ranieri, you know, fifth in the table. They're, I'm loath to say they're playing good football. They're playing effective football. Um, you know, you, you would make the pretty obvious statement, I think, that coming into this game, they are perhaps the slight favourites. Um, although Ren have, have enjoyed... Um, Quite a good number of, of results of late against Nantes, but it's uh, it's it's always a quite a feisty game, both on and off the pitch. Um, even you've got a Ren side who are struggling, you've got a Nantes side who are, I'll say it, they're dull, but you know they they're grinding out the results. So it's very much not going to be a pretty game. So if you're wanting a, an aesthetically pleasing ninety minutes. I probably wouldn't recommend watching this game, but if you want sheer passion, if you want aggression, if you want gritty performances, then then this could be could be a game to check out. But it's a game I'm I'm a bit nervous about. Um, but yeah, hugely looking forward to it. Um, Jez, any other games you want to pick out as being possibly slightly more interesting than the what Rich has just described for the neutral? Um, I think. 
we've spoken about both teams and their struggles. I think Nice Lyon has the potential to be a very entertaining match, you know, for all the the sort of criticisms and concerns of both teams. They can play really good football when they feel like it. Um I think Saint Etienne Strasbourg is intriguing. Saint Etienne are in disarray at the moment. Strasbourg are I do feel like they're gradually improving and, and one mm. of those teams that are playing better football than, than their results um, would suggest. Mess Amia, I don't think will be interesting. I mean, it's interesting just in terms of bottom half of the table, but I'm not sure it will be the, the greatest match in the world to watch. And then, yeah, the, there's the sort of small matter of the weekend ending with Monaco hosting PSG. Oh, well, which, but- before we get to that, it might just be worth explaining to people who maybe aren't keeping uh, tabs on the table that one of the reasons everything is so close at the bottom is we've got five teams on 15 points. Um, so Strasbourg might be in 18th, but they're on 13 points. They've got Nice and Angers I, I think, on 14. I think um, Amiens went up from possibly 19th to to 12th 12th with the win over Lille. Exactly. So it's, like I said, there was a lot of movement last weekend because a lot of those lower half teams were playing each other and therefore were zipping up and down like nobody's business. So we've got a situation where everything is still very tight in the centre of the table. You've got got, sixth to... 19th are separated by seven points. Yeah, Carl and are in sixth on 19. All but one of them have negative goals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so on that, props to uh, Montpellier uh, <laughs> for having the positive goal difference despite barely plus scoring one. any goals. Yes, it's plus, seriously, it's plus one. Nobody outside the top four has got a positive goal difference other than that, which is ludicrous, really, when you think about it. So the ones with the biggest goal difference, obviously, are the top two. They're facing off on Sunday. Monaco hosts PSG. 35 points for PSG, 29 for Monaco. 43 goals scored for PSG, 35 for Monaco. It's... Do we give Monaco a chance? It feels bad to say that, but do we? I, I do, on the basis that in the league, anyway, they do seem to be able to raise their game. Um, you know, I'm not going to say at home is such a huge advantage for, for Monaco because it's not never going to be the most daunting of atmospheres, but being at home will help. You know, mm-hmm. there's obviously going to be minimal um, Parisian support. Um, I give them a slim chance. I don't think at the minute PSG are absolutely at their overriding fluent best. Um, you know, we certainly don't seem to be seeing the best of Neymar, for example, at the moment. Um, I, I give them a chance. I'm not saying I give them a big chance, but I, I, I give them a chance of nicking maybe a draw. Yeah, I mean, they are unbeaten at home. They're too losses were both away at <coughs> excuse me Nice and at Lyon uh, in the league at least the Champions League is is another story um, Paris obviously have not lost yet they've got two draws on the on the books Mon- uh, Montpellier and Marseille both away so 
you know, it's it's possible. Um, but bear in mind that they're playing tonight, probably as we record. They may already be three goals up. I don't know. Um, Do you want to know? Really? Tell me. Celtic scored in the first minute. Oh, that's hilarious. And Neymar has scored twice since. Okay, fine. Fair. Well, perhaps, perhaps as, forget what I was saying about ex- Neymar. <laughs> as we expected, Thiago Silva started buying Secret Santa a month and a half early for uh, for, for Kylian Mbappe. Um, I think it was Thiago Silva who did a Secret Santa for Celtic by giving away the corner in an absolutely ridiculous way that led to okay, the goal. Okay, good. But... Yes, because I was I was warming <laughs> to him with the uh, turtle mask thing, but. <laughs> What well, if... as everyone has pointed out, though, it's not Donatello's mask. It... They, he's, he went Does it make a difference hand. which turtle it is? Well, if you if they're gonna, I don't know. They seem to be all the pushing tur- the Don. They seem to be pushing the Donatello route. Is so that because Kim, of the coloured headband? Well, Kim, uh, Kimpembe posted uh, on, on various social medias um, outlets uh, and with the caption of Donatello, and everyone's laughed and enjoyed it and everyone's forgotten it's the mask he's given was not done I'm, I'm a bit of a <laughs> teenage mutant hero sort of aficionado as you can gather but um, you'll probably turn out that oh, the has signed a deal with versace or something. <laughs> no, almost certainly um so i think that game obviously is the one that finishes the weekend whatever happens it's going to be a spectacle it's going to be on tv in many countries which has some people are pointing out in response to the uh, Rory Smith article is possibly what people were talking about when they said that PSG might save Ligue 1. It means that more people want to watch, possibly because they want to see PSG rather than anybody else, but there we go. So we've got that that round of, of games coming up. Obviously, PSG, Monaco, they're ahead of the pack. If Monaco could get a point, that would at least keep things interesting. But really, if you're after a kind of interesting interesting matchups look at the table because yeah sixth to 19th are not far apart from each other so all of this could change by the time we speak to you again next week so we're looking forward to the Europa League on Thursday and a round of games over the weekend to round up next week when hopefully Chris will be back from work Uh, the doctors wherever he is leaves on the line again um so my thanks to jeremy smith thank you jez thank you and to rich thank you rich thank you and we will round up all of the action from all of the european games and the league games at the weekend when we speak to you next week get those questions in to french ft weekly on twitter or send us uh send us a comment under the the article in on the website and we will get to your queries when we can okay thanks very much and speak to you next week